Let us pray. God, we thank you for this passage of Scripture, and we pray that you would help us to understand not only what it meant so long ago, but what it means today. Help us to apply it to our own context of worship. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you prefer traditional worship? Now, before you answer that, we have to define what we mean by traditional worship. Now, after a couple of months of having online-only worship services, uh, perhaps we are now thinking of a traditional worship service as being in the building, uh, no matter how new the songs might be. That might be traditional for us at this time. But perhaps you're thinking more that uh, uh, traditional is back when we would sing songs just from the, the Baptist hymnal that we uh, often use. Uh, back when we, when we did that, that was traditional worship. However, when I looked in that hymnal, I saw that it was actually published in 1973, which means that this congregation was around for 140 years before the Baptist hymnal. Well, maybe you're thinking, well, just in general, the classic hymns. But again, if you go through that hymnal and you look at the date of many of those hymns, uh, many of them are newer than when this congregation was around. What is traditional? Well, let's keep pushing things back. Uh, what if we go back uh, 400 years to when the, uh, the Baptist movement was still young and the King James Bible had just come out? Uh, what was traditional then? Well, at that point, they were not meeting in church buildings. There were other uh, churches that were meeting in buildings, and they had beautiful cathedrals and all kinds of other uh, fantastic buildings, but those early Baptists didn't. They were very much on the outside, and they met wherever they could, oftentimes in homes. What if we push things back 500 years to the dawn of the Reformation, back when the Reformers are trying to figure out uh, for early Protestantism, uh, how much of the Roman Catholic worship service do we retain? What if we keep pushing back to the time when most Christians belong to the Roman Catholic Church? I would say if we're going to go traditional, we need to keep going even farther back. We need to push back all the way to the first century and to see what worship looked like in that particular context. And actually, uh, very soon we're going to be starting a series on the Acts of the Apostles and that important book of the New Testament that gives us a picture of what the early church looked like. But this is not the time for that. We are going to be doing that soon, but not right now. Uh, for this particular message, we're going to look at the Apostle Paul and a letter he wrote to the church in Corinth. And in that letter, specifically chapter 14, we get a little snapshot of what worship looked like in the first century. Now, we don't have all of the details that we would like, but we have some idea of what it was like. So we're going to take a look at that and try to find the principles that apply to our situation today. 
Now, what exactly did that worship service look like? Well, we have to realize that we all have our own bias and we are going to uh, apply our own particular preferences to our picture of what the early church looked like. So uh, if we're passionate about music, we're going to assume that the early church uh, really focused on uh, music and, and singing in that way. Uh, if we are very passionate about liturgy, we're going to assume that the early church was very heavy on liturgy. Uh, if we are uh, passionate about uh, fellowship, uh, then we're going to assume that that's what the early church was focusing on as well. So we actually don't have as much details as we would really like. But there are certain things uh, that we do know. In fact, uh, what we know is more about what wasn't there. So uh, we know that they did not have church buildings. Church buildings were uh, a much later invention. Uh, they were meeting in in homes, and these homes were rather small. So when we uh, hear descriptions of Christians gathering together in the first century, uh, we might picture that there's like 100 or 200 or 300 people there, uh, but that's not the case. Uh, there probably is uh, 10 or 15, maybe 20 people at the most, and I think that would be pushing it. So we have to understand it was more house church than anything else. Uh, something else that we know is that they didn't have professional pastors. They didn't have seminary-trained, ordained pastors that were on the payroll. Uh, that did not exist. I'm not saying that we need to uh, get rid of those. I have a vested interest in, in keeping uh, the pastoral situation the way it is. But uh, they didn't have that. Now, that's not to say that, that uh, they didn't have anyone trained. There were people uh, who were in leadership positions, and some of them were gifted in teaching, and they had studied the teachings of the apostles, and so they shared from that. Uh, but it looked very different from what we have today. So what more can we say about this? Well, we can go to 1 Corinthians 14 and see what Paul says about a early church worship service, and we can catch uh, a few really important principles. And the first thing is, and I want you to really pay attention to this, because this is in many ways the key to what we're going to look at. He begins at chapter 14 by saying, follow the way of love. Remember that, follow the way of love. And then he goes from that to describe this worship service, which actually might make you uh, feel a little uncomfortable because it is a focus on uh, things like prophecy and speaking in tongues. In fact, you might uh, read this passage and think, well, that kind of sounds like a Pentecostal worship service, and uh, that might not necessarily be your style. And I understand that. I actually was raised in an Anglican church, and then uh, later on in my uh, I guess it was my early 20s, I began to attend a Pentecostal church. And I'll tell you, that first Sunday in the Pentecostal church, there was uh, quite the culture shock going on for my, uh, my poor uh, Anglican traditions that I had uh, grown up with. Uh, but that's not necessarily what Paul is talking about. He's not thinking of a Pentecostal service, except for the fact that he's assuming that uh, all churches are Pentecostal in the sense that the church was born uh, on Pentecost, and uh, we 
all everything we do as a church is in the shadow of the Pentecost event. But he's not thinking of it as a specific tradition. This is just uh, the way a church would be, whether it was in Corinth or in Rome or in Antioch, it didn't really matter. So what is important here is that they are uh, gathering together and they are uh, worshiping in a particular way and Paul has some guidance as to what that was about and he wants them to hear this because the Corinthians were doing things that weren't necessarily right. So what, what is going on here? What were they doing? Well, it's, he talks about speaking in tongues and prophecy. Now, what are these things? Well, there's some disagreement. There are those who believe that speaking in tongues is just the ability to speak a foreign language uh, that you might be given to do missions. So some people uh, uh, interpret it in that way. Uh, and some people interpret prophecy as just uh, spirit-gifted preaching. Uh, if you've ever heard someone who just seems uh, anointed by God in their preaching, that that, that would be what is, uh, is being talked about here. I actually think uh, a little bit differently. I think that the speaking in tongues that is being described here is an ecstatic speech. Uh, that is, it's a, a speech that uh, someone wouldn't normally understand, that you wouldn't expect someone just to stop into the church and, and uh, happen to be able to understand the language that was going on. And it was used as a prayer language. It was a way uh, that a, an individual uh, had uh, a connection with God, an individual connection with God. And I believe that prophecy was uh, definitely spirit-inspired speech, but it was giving uh, encouragement that is uh, being guided uh, by the Spirit. It is not the same thing as preaching, but is more direct in coming from God. It's not based on study of the scriptures, but is rather uh, God guiding the person to speak specific words. But uh, wh whatever the interpretation here, really the principle is the same. And what uh, Paul is teaching here is that there is a problem with focusing too much on speaking in tongues, which seems to be what the Corinthians were doing. Uh, they had a uh, specific interest in speaking in tongues, and they felt that that actually uh, made them a bit more spiritual because they were doing that. And there's nothing wrong with speaking in tongues. In fact, uh, Paul makes it very clear that there's nothing wrong with speaking in tongues. He says that he speaks in tongues more than any of them. So it's definitely not something that is bad. But his criticism there is that uh, when there's no interpretation and it's just the person speaking in tongues, it's about a direct connection between that individual and God, but it doesn't affect anyone else. It doesn't help anyone else. No one else receives any encouragement. It's just about the individual and God. And Paul compares that to prophecy which is spoken in the language of the people who are present, and everyone who hears it is encouraged in their faith. They're encouraged in their relationship with God. And so he's saying that in a worship service, in the context of a worship service, prophecy is better than tongues uh, when there's no interpretation. Not because prophecy by itself is somehow more spiritual than tongues, but rather what the point of being in a worship service is, is that we are connecting with God, not as individuals, 
but as a community. And so it's not just about us having some one-on-one time with God. It's about us as a people connecting with God. And in this particular context, uh, prophecy is much better for doing this. And this really is the explanation for that first exhortation that Paul gives, that we are to uh, follow the way of love. Following the way of love is putting other people's needs before our own edification. And that's what Paul is trying to, to get across here. So what does that mean in our current context? Does that mean that what we need to be doing is to uh, decreasing the number of speaking in tongues that we have and increase the number of prophecy that's happening at Queen Street Baptist Church? Well, um, that's probably not uh, what we need to do because that doesn't seem to be our specific context. That's not the way worship has developed here in our church. But the principles are exactly the same. Uh, What Paul is talking about here is not based on the specific gifts that are being described, but rather it's about the motivation for them. Love is the guiding principle. Now, how do I know that? Well, the uh, immediately before this is 1 Corinthians 13, often called the love chapter. Now, a lot of time, People assume that 1 Corinthians 13 is about giving guidance between a husband and a wife. It's it's a marriage chapter. There's a reason why we read this passage at most weddings. But that's actually not what that chapter is about at all. Uh, It is not in the context of uh, a marriage relationship. Paul is describing love in 1 Corinthians 13 in terms of our relationship with other people in the church. This is for us with our brothers and sisters in Christ. So if you thought that uh, all you had to do was have 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love with one person in your life, you're out of luck because the expectation is we have that with everyone in our church. And why is this important to 1 Corinthians 14? Well, remember, originally there were no chapters. Uh, It would go immediately from 1 Corinthians 13 right into this passage on worship and the the guidance that is given here. So uh, love is our guiding principle for what worship looks like. So so what does that mean? Well, we all have our personal preferences uh, about what worship looks like. And uh, the most obvious way is that of style, of music. So some of us are going to absolutely love the classic hymns, that we uh, just connect with them in such a special way. And uh, we might not uh, like the newer songs at all. And then there's going to be some people who love the new songs. They just find something vibrant and passionate about those newer worship songs. And we might find that the uh, some of the, the classic hymns are, are just a, maybe a, a little bit tired. Uh, we we kind of want to, to step away from that a bit. So these, these preferences are existing. But Paul would say to us, it is not about what we personally prefer when it comes to these things. What we need to be asking is, what is the best for our community? What is loving towards each other? And so even if we don't like a newer song, if it is a blessing to other people in our community, then it's a good thing, even if we don't like it. 
and uh, if uh, a hymn is being done, and it's a blessing to other people in our community, even if we're not into hymns, it doesn't matter what our personal preference is. It matters how that is helping that other person. We are to follow the way of love. Now, as we begin to prepare to come back to our building for worship, uh, this principle really becomes clear. Uh, for example, we've already talked about how we're not going to be able to have congregational singing when we come back. And yet, that might be what we really, really want. In fact, I, am, I can pretty much guarantee uh, that that is exactly what we want. We want to come into this church building on that first Sunday, and we just want to belt out those songs. We just want to sing loud. We want to celebrate uh, God's goodness, and we just want to let it go. And that's personally what we're going to want to prefer. But is that the best thing for other people? Is it putting other people in danger? And it actually is putting other people in danger because it is uh, uh, too easy of a way to, to pass on the virus. And so for the first uh, number of uh, times that we get together, we're not going to be able to have congregational singing. And it's going to be hard because that's not our personal preference. But Paul would say it's not about our preference. It is about what is best for the other people. It's the same thing when it comes to wearing masks. Now, I'm going to tell you, I hate wearing masks. I really dislike it. It makes me feel uncomfortable. I'm not happy with it at all. But what is loving towards others? It's, it's not enough that my personal preference is not to wear a mask. What is important is living the life of love, following the way of love, doing that in terms, in the context of worship means I'm going to have to wear a mask. And that's just the way it's going to be. And these are the things that are going to be really difficult for us. And I want you to know that I'm talking about myself as much as anyone here. I have my personal preferences, but that's not what worship is about. When it comes to worship, the number one thing is God. The number two thing is what is best for the other people in our community. And a distant third is our personal preference. It's a hard thing for us to get in our minds, but it's important. I began by asking if you like traditional worship. And I suggested that when we look at traditional worship, that we don't look 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 30 years ago, but rather we go right back to the beginning to the first century. And what does traditional worship look like? Does traditional worship look like prophecy and speaking in tongues? Perhaps, but the deeper principle there is following the way of love. That is what is important. The, the Corinthian church, their personal preference was speaking in tongues. That's how they felt uh, blessed. That's how they felt spiritual. That's how they felt connected to God by speaking in tongues, but it did nothing for the rest of the people in their community. So Paul corrected them and said, consider prophecy. Prophecy is where people are being blessed. And even though our context might, be, might not be about speaking in tongues, it might not be about prophecy, the principle is exactly the same thing. We follow the way of love. We don't put our personal preferences first. 
we don't focus on just the connection that we have with God. Rather, we look at what's best for our community. How do we bless other people? And how do we make sure that our brothers and sisters are experiencing the love of God? We need to follow the way of love. Let us pray. God, we confess that we do have our personal preferences. We have things that we wish looked a certain way. Uh, when we come into uh, a worship service, there are certain parts of it that we really connect well with. And there are other parts that we just don't like. And some of it we enjoy, some of it we don't enjoy. And in those moments when we're tempted to complain about the way things look, we ask that you would help us to remind ourselves and to repeat over and over again that we follow the way of love. Follow the way of love. We thank you for the teaching that Paul gave to the church in Corinth and that we can receive that teaching ourselves. Help us to follow these principles in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.